Hey everyone, it's John. Um, the Bop Squad just wanted to let all of you know um, how much we appreciate you listening to a, the podcast. Um, hopefully you are getting a lot of um, new intriguing ideas and some inspiration and um, just good content from our podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please consider supporting us on Patreon. Um, there are different levels, whether that's a one-time gift or a monthly contribution, and the different levels have different perks associated with them, um, like early released episodes or some merchandise. Speaking of, you can go over to the Bop Shop at clinicalpopulations.threadless.com to check out some of our merch, which also is a way for you to support us. Um, I own two of our shirts, and they are my favorite shirts um, out of my wardrobe. They are so comfortable and soft and stylish, if I do say so myself. So um, consider checking out some of our merch. It really is good quality stuff. Um, All right, now to the show. Clinical. Clinical. Clinical and I'm Gabby. And welcome to Clinical Obulation. Coming live from EMTC 2022 in Edinburgh, Scotland. And we are introducing music therapists to new bops and new bops to music therapy. Um, so because we're in Scotland, we found a Scottish artist. This is an artist. His name is Hamish Napier. And... Uh, we were connected to him through Nikki, Nikki Hare, um, and he's a folk artist, improv artist. So, Hello, my name's Hamish Napier. I'm a Scottish folk composer, and I come from the Highlands of Scotland. I come from a place called Bainach and Strath's Bay, which uh, runs a mountainous region which runs either side of the River Spey, uh, from the Cairngorm Mountains out to the Murray Firth in the northeast of Murray. Um, you say, tell us a bit more, a little bit more about your musical background. My mother is a, a Clarsach player, um, which is the the Highland harp. It's like the wee harp, um, and uh, I think you know, growing up with that instrument in my house, whenever I see an orchestral harp, I always think about that as being the big harp, and the Clarsach being like the normal one. But it's just a uh, some of them are quite small; they sit on your knee, or, and some of them are quite small they just go on the floor but they don't have any pedals or anything like the big orchestral ones but they're a, a, a you know a famous uh, Celtic instrument anyway and my mum plays that and she, she used to sing with Scottish opera and uh, she teaches piano as well and uh, so I grew up with music in the house all the time my dad has a great love of loads of different kinds of music um, quite a lot of roots music I think he's a bit of a Mozart fan as well but um so my brothers and I, we were always listening to a big mix of folk music and uh, all kinds of different things in, in, in the house growing up. Uh, my first experience of learning music was actually going to classical lessons. I got uh, classical piano and then uh, and then classical flute lessons. And I did the grades and things like that. But I think overall, 
on reflection, I think that that system didn't um, I mean it, it did work for me, but it wasn't necessarily quite the right way forward for for me because when I picked up folk music uh, when I was in my early teens, um, I found that I was able to learn the music without the sheet music, so I could learn things from all the tapes and CDs that I was listening to. And uh, that 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 was wonderful. So and also I could play it the music really easily with my friends. It wasn't like a duet had to be written or there were duet parts. We would just two of us would just get together and play the tune, and it was immediate and just a wonderful musical conversation. So folk music for me was was really a wonderful thing, and um, I always enjoyed going to jazz workshops and things like that. I just loved the idea of there being a bit of a freer element to it. So I really got drawn into folk music. And there was a tremendous summer camp that we used to go to. It was actually in, in the October holidays, the tatty holidays, as we call them up in the Highlands, because everyone picks their potatoes at that time. Um, but uh, they, they were called, it's called Fesh Spey, which is Gaelic for the Festival of the River Spey. And there's actually 40 of these little camps around the Scottish Highlands um, and some down south as well. And that was a chance to have a week of doing a bit of outdoor sports, meeting the people from the other students from the other neighbouring school at Canusi, because I went to Granton, uh, Granton and Spey Grammar School. And so we got to meet these uh, people from the next school along uh, and we got to hang out and, and, and play music. And there would be, you get three different instruments to learn and group work and a wee bit of Gaelic language, which was great. Um, oh, it was just a brilliant week. And I used to, I, I went to every single one that I could go to um, over the years and made some great friendships. Uh, and I formed a band and, and two of the lads that I formed my first uh, folk band with, um, uh, they, I've been their best men and, and, uh, and, and they're going to be my two best men for my wedding. So it's quite a special thing, you know, like these really important relationships built up you know through music uh, and it was just a, a wonderful thing so the face bay is you know it's it's a huge part of my musical background and now well, the face is, is organized by um, a, a big organization called fashion and gale and um they long may it continue there's just loads of professional scottish folk musicians that have come through the face movement as they call it so i'm ever indebted to the face for for that um and a yeah, so that, and then I uh, I actually went and did uh, astronomy and physics and maths at university for four years and <laughs> kind of struggled with that a bit, but managed to pass. But as soon as I finished my last exam, I was off on the road touring with a band called Back in the Moon. And that was with my sister-in-law, Gillian Frame, and a great piper, uh, Simon McCarroll. Um, later on, there was a, we had a different piper called Ali Hutton. He was uh, brilliant. They're, they're just brilliant. Um, those two pipers, I learned tons from them. Of the kind of discipline of Scottish piping and and loads of great kind of rhythmic techniques. They were like kind of like two mentors, really, uh, Simon and Ali, uh, for me. Um, having I'd not grown up with that kind of strict piping thing, so it was really good for my flute playing. And I, I should have said I transitioned from the um, from the metal flute onto the wooden flute. Um, I kind of but via the tin whistle, <laughs> if you like. So I, I went from this, you know, the big metal flute to like the tiny little tin whistle with no keys on it. And then that's what the wooden flute is, but twice the size. And I, I got into the wooden flute eventually and started playing that all the time. Um, but I play piano uh, accompaniment a lot. That's a big part of my music. 
Um, I remember going to see Brian McAlpine play when I was a teenager. He's a piano player that plays with Session A9, and I just didn't know it was possible to play piano accompaniment so energetically and joyfully and to take the mu- the music on a journey and just get people stomping their feet and shouting out from the crowd. It was so good, the gig that I went to see, in fact, that I went to see it the next night in the neighbouring town of Aviemore. So it was just, uh, it was amazing. And it was actually another Brian, Brian, McC- uh, Brian Finnegan from the band Fluke, whistle player. It's a huge influence on me. Uh, and I just I, I just love his playing. Uh, so uh, these two these two uh, folk um, have been a massive inspiration on, on my music, um, and that's one of the things I, I really loved about folk music is that, it, that you can't take the 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 it's the people out of folk music. It's it's all about people and individuals, um, uh, and and it, it's the individuals that are that are. are you can go and see them, you can meet them, you can talk to them, you can have lessons from them. It feels very, very much alive. Whereas when I was learning, you know, minuet in C for my grade three exam or something like that, you know, I didn't really know anything about the composer and it all just seemed quite old fashioned to me. But, you know, each to their own. Um, that that's All that music has, has its place and it works brilliantly for, for many people, but just didn't really work for me very well, unfortunately. But um, yeah, so I, I, being down in, when I went to study astronomy and maths uh, and, and physics, I went down to uh, Glasgow, the big city of Glasgow, where there was a huge um, mix of brilliant singer songwriters, rock musicians, uh, jazz music, um, loads of folk musicians, quite a lot of the Glasgow Irish folk musicians who, you know, uh, uh, come through a sort of competition style thing. So he had this really high standard of musicianship um, happening. And also there was um, there was a, a lot of musicians on the, the new music, folk music courses that were happening in Glasgow. Um, the, the one at um, the RSAMD as it was, or the Royal Conservatory of Scotland as it is now. And also the at Strathclyde, uh, University of Strathclyde, there was a multi-genre course. So there was all these musicians, all, this is all in the late 90s, early 2000s, and there were loads of great bands that came out of that. Um, Croft Number no. 5, um, Breibach, um, there's just loads, uh, too many to mention, but it was a, it's, a, it's a real kind of melting pot of music. So that's where I was for, for 16 years. Uh, and then I went to the... Um, to Boston, I got a scholarship to go to the Berklee College of Music, and uh, I was specialising in jazz piano. But I think you know, uh, playing at quite a low standard, really, of of jazz piano, but just helping to kind of uh, add another string to my bow, really, for my folk music playing, and um, just try to find my own voice in in folk music with kind of jazz harmony and and bits of improvisation and things. So. Um, it was a really wonderful year that I had in Boston, um, and when I came back, I was teaching composition actually at the at the Royal Conservatory of Scotland. So, <laughs> um, but now I, I've moved back home to where I'm from, and I'm writing music about the place that I live. Well, the first album uh, was I, I I originally wanted it just to be about my two instruments, my my wooden flutes, and about the piano, um, and. I, I didn't even want to have titles for any of the, the the tunes. I just wanted it to be all about the music. And that was my original idea. And this is when I was first commissioned to write a piece of music for um, for the um, Celtic Connections Festival. And uh, then I thought, you know, actually, there's so much 
uh, to explore in my own local area that I actually uh, decided I will in fact write a piece of music uh, which is inspired by my local area. Um, so uh, I, I, the, the good place to start was the river. Um, you know, Strathspey is all about the River Spey and it's only 200 yards from my house. So um, yeah, I got I just really kind of got stuck into the, the, the stories behind the River Spey. And then I, I sort of thought to myself, well, it would be lovely to have a suite of albums uh, that all kind of tie together. Um, I'm a huge fan of that band, Fluke. Uh, I don't know if you've come across them, F-L-O-O-K. Uh, they're uh, an amazing flute band um, with Baran and, uh, and guitar as well. Uh, one of the top folk bands ever, I would say. Um, a lot of people uh, would agree with that. <laughs> kind of virtuoso players, uh, all of them. And uh, and they their their series of albums are um they're kind of collectible. All the album covers have kind of got a similar kind of theme, and uh, and I just remember thinking to myself that if there's a lovely collectability to their music as well, um, and I thought well if I if I make some albums I'll I'll make I hope I hope that maybe you know the albums have got a similar theme and people will want to to collect them sort of thing. So, um, I realized I wanted all the albums to tie together in some way. So they ended up with the river, the railway, the woods, and I'm currently uh, about to start um, an album called The Hill, uh, which is all about the, the Mona Lea and the Cairngorm Mountains, which are the mountain ranges either side of the River Spey. And there's so much folklore to explore there, and actually quite a wealth of traditional tunes written for those hills as well. Um, so that's that's kind of uh, and there's a, a kind of thread that runs through them you get the 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 water fire earth um air and ether um the, these kind of elements these classical elements that crop up in loads of different cultures worldwide um you know in in in, uh, in religion and uh, and also in greek mythology as well it's usually kind of four or five elements and i thought well it'd be lovely to write a sort of pentalogy of uh, f like five albums basically uh, that, that tie in with the different elements so I think with the the river that's the kind of water and the railway is the fire and the woods are the um, are, are the earth and for the hill Cairngorms is famous for being one of the windiest most exposed places with its kind of arctic winds and things so it's that's going to be all about the, the wind and the air and um, eventually, I mean, having studied astronomy many years ago, I have never really gone back to visit all that astronomy stuff. Um, and so I think um, eventually the final fifth album will be about the ether, but still tied in with, with Badenick and Strathspey uh, because there's lots of really amazing ways that, that, that nature is affected by the cycles of the moon. Uh, you know the the bats and things like that. They they are affected by the the cycles of of the moon and stuff like that. So I think that all that kind of stuff really fascinates me. So that's that's for the the, the fifth and final one. But um, for now, it's uh, ready. I'm ready to start on on number four, the hill. And um, yeah, this track, this is a track called Forest Folk, and it's from my third solo album, The Woods. And the woods is composed in honour of all of Scotland's native trees. This is Forest Folk.
So that's a track called Forest Folk from my third solo album, The Woods. And Forest Folk is written for all of the plants of the forest. So um, all the other flora, because the, the album The Woods focuses on uh, Scotland's native trees. So I do a tune for, for each one. So there's a tune for the elder, the hawthorn, the blackthorn, and the other uh, sort of 18 or 20 trees uh, that I chose. And uh, it's also dedicated to folk who just love to stroll out in the woods, uh, walking their dog or riding their bike or whatever, just a chance to get out in the wild in a green space. And uh, it's, you know, once you're walking around for 15, 20 minutes in a place like that, you tend to eventually leave all your troubles of the week behind and you're just enjoying being in a lovely place um, and this track I imagined I was hoping that it's got a kind of uplifting feel for people and uh, uh, might be nice to find a, a big tree with your headphones on and lie underneath of it underneath it um, at the foot of its trunk and gaze up at the clouds and watch them drifting high above the branches so that's a, a track called Forest Folk probably just say this one more thing uh, maybe as well I think when there's heritage and history and stories behind my music, in other words, what classical musicians might refer to as programme music, where it's all tied in with a kind of story or a, or a subject, I think that helps me when I'm composing to to kind of stay true to what to, to something that feels real and honest and true. And that's very important in, in, in my, my writing, that I'm not trying to write something to sort of dazzle people or trying to, to do something kind of to technically push my my own uh, technical ability uh, and and releasing that for me it's it's more about trying to to create something that conjures up an image like write music that is a soundtrack to something and it's not so important that people don't get exactly what I meant in other words I, I don't mind if people hear a piece of music and they think about something else that's absolutely fine it's it's more accessing that feeling that you get so for instance uh, the piece of music that I wrote for the freshwater pearl mussels is a uh, is quite a kind of ominous and dark sounding tune uh, written for 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 people that would uh, that would disrespect the the landscape and 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 over overfish these these pearl mussels um to uh, to and uh, to the extent where they're become endangered so the piece of music is written for that but i think for somebody just coming in for the first time and listening to it uh you know i certainly don't i certainly don't mind if if their their mind is taken somewhere else completely different thinking about a place or a person or an event and i think that's that's a really interesting thing for me it's like what does how does the music make them feel um so yeah i think uh that that for me the the history and the heritage helps keep me on track as it were with the music um and where I'm all the countless decisions you have to make as a composer being a composer is about making decisions and I think when you have something to write about and you're effectively writing about the soundtrack for something invisible um that that really sort of focuses you in and it gives you great limitations and uh, restrictions which actually help drive forward the the creativity and the music and actually sort of focus you in on something where you realize yeah actually no it has to be like this or it has to be this short or no I think I'm actually going to have to use the bagpipes for this one instead of the fiddle um to tie in with the the subject matter and the next thing you know, the tracks are influenced by this, by their subject matter. And I, I just love that process. It's, it's a big part of my music.
Okay, my name's Luke Ansley. Uh, I'm from the UK. Um, I'm based in the southwest of the UK in Bristol. Yes. I'd liked everything about it, actually. I, I, I was um, slightly worried that before you played it. I thought, what's going to happen if I really hate this track? <laughs> <laughs> it's okay, no judgments. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't want to create a bad atmosphere by, you know. Yeah. But then, you know, we are therapists and we have to be honest. Um, so, so I am being honest in saying that I liked everything about it. Thank nice. You. So, because uh, it's beautifully produced, isn't it? And the, it's also got. So that I'll be a bit nerdy as well because I'm not just going to. Actually, I, I think the track is. It's got some musoy qualities to it, hasn't it? It's got so as a muso, you're listening to that thinking, oh, <laughs> right. Because okay, it, it starts off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it starts off. Okay, okay. So it starts in four. Yeah. Uh-huh. And you think, okay, we're in four. Right. Yeah. And then. Yeah. Um, there's a metric modulation. Right. So uh, I hope there's some fans of metric modulations it's fun. listening yeah. to this. Yeah. Um, and the thing about that kind of thing happening in music is, uh, and maybe this is a problem sometimes with being a musician, is that you, you think. Oh, what, is, what did they do there? Mm-hmm. So what happened there? And I was I was trying to work it out. <laughs> There's like a dotted crotchet to crotchet yeah, relationship or something like that yeah, going on. Yeah. So that so that that's yeah. my right brain is like annoying me <laughs> while I'm listening to it. I can relate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that was something that that happened. And there is a term for that because there's quite a few, well actually, um, so I teach on the music therapy training at mm-hmm. the University of the West of England. Mm-hmm. And one of the trainees recently told me what the term is for that because there are there are quite a lot of examples of um, tracks from pop and rock music where where it feels like the, it feels like the one is here mm-hmm. at the start of the track and then it moves mm-hmm. and then um, you find that actually it's somewhere else, yeah. and and it was a really good example of that. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, sure. I mean, I guess you could think, oh, it starts here and then moves to somewhere else. But to me, it felt like th- that was a little game. Yeah. Yeah. At the beginning. Yeah, it was. Yeah. <laughs> and it, um, uh, but it was really fun. You know, it was a very playful moment. Mm-hmm. I thought, what did you think? Yeah, I wasn't as focused on where the one was, but I just kind of got lost in the groove, um, which is one of the first things that I noticed. I could just get lost in it, you know? Um, Yeah, I just thought it was just easy to listen to. Um, My favorite part is when, I guess, like maybe halfway or three-fourths through, there's like an additional flute that comes in that's like jumps the octave and it's like yes like <laughs> it brings some like just even more life to their already lively song it's a gradual build isn't it yes. mm-hmm. yeah yeah very gradual yeah. um i think for me as a as a flute player i loved hearing how it became a rhythm instrument because typically we are kind of the sprinkle on top or um, hold the melody down, but we are never really a part of that groove. So that was something that I really enjoyed on top of the percussion, uh, which was awesome too, but it was nice to hear the flute as part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and what a great sound, what right. a great flute sound. Oh my gosh, it's so that, so that I guess Hamish Napier, from what you described, so I don't know Hamish Napier at all, now I'm going to go and... 
Yay, Check we out. Yay. That's, yeah. Yeah. He's on tour. Go yeah. check okay. him out. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and it's nice though, isn't it? Shameless plug for him. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but uh, you, from what you were saying, uh, so um, Hamish is a flute is mm-hmm. a flute player, um, and I guess he's also playing some of the other instruments as well. I, mm-hmm. We don't know who's playing guitar, for example, and okay. drums. Piano and, for sure. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. 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 But um, but what a great what a great flute player, mm-hmm. flautist, I should say, isn't it? But there was also there was another nerdy thing happening in the rhythm <laughs> for me, which was that it sounded like it was alternating bars of seven and nine. Yeah. To me. There was like there was a big downbeat. Yeah. Did you feel did you feel that or was that there was a kind of it felt like the one was that it was yeah. telling me that uh, for a while. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm gonna sorry. Have to, yeah. <laughs> I told you I got lost in the <laughs> Hello. Um. I'm Emma. Emma McLean. I'm from Edinburgh. And I work here at Queen Margaret, so oh, okay. I'm very much at home. <laughs> very much for at home. Us. <laughs> Thank yeah. you for coming. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was sitting over there, and I did actually once meet Hamish Napier in the woods. In the woods. <laughs> in the woods. What? Which was just—that's the only time I've ever met him. Actually, was in the woods, <laughs> which is quite a funny experience. So I was sitting there thinking. Obviously, I was taken back to that experience because yeah. I was with my kids, and he showed them about how a fir cone is. Um, why that? Which ones are shut and which ones are open? And if it means that the little beasties have been eaten at them. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so, so I was like, I was just taken back to that moment and thinking how nice he is. First off, yeah. and how nice he was with my kids. Mm-hmm. And then I was also thinking like, um, how the music really kind of is about growth and is about kids growing. And well, it's not kids growing; it's trees growing, isn't it? But there is a sense in the phrasing of that rooting that the phrases start and then they expand and then you go back to the mm-hmm. root of the phrase and that's folk music all over i mean mm-hmm. i play a lot of folk music and you have a kind of you have a um well that's usually kind of 16 bars isn't it and then you have yeah. the you have the opening bit and then you have and and he's taken it lots further and he has done lots of nerdy tricks with it and <laughs> <laughs> expanded it and that's what's so beautiful about the music because it's just so playful mm-hmm. And I think that's what we're looking for in therapy is just to be playful mm-hmm. and to to know all the nerdy tricks and to use them freely yeah. and to really incorporate them. And I think that's you know, that's really important as we're training Pete students and as we're learning ourselves that we just want to pick up as many nerdy tricks as we can, mm-hmm. but then we need to learn how to use them playfully. Right. And that's what I was thinking about was just the playfulness of it. And actually, I started kind of shutting my eyes and I was going, <laughs> it's also been a very long day. And I was like, oh, this is so nice. <laughs> <laughs> so nice to listen to this. So um, so I did, um, yeah, really enjoyed it. And I just, yeah, playfulness, I thought, was the really important part of that. I love I love hearing that because it's it's knowing the nerdy tricks, but it's also how can we share them in a way that he did, where it's very smooth and um, easily understood. Yeah, where you're left kind of wondering, how did that happen? Right. How did it happen so smoothly? And even does it matter? You yeah. know, if you have that uh, playfulness and that joy. Um, that experience yeah does the nerdiness matter sometimes it does but sometimes my clients will say wow that was 
that was sneaky. They'll come in, they're really apprehensive about music therapy, and then at the end of it, they're like, I, I don't think I've opened up like this in a long time. Mm-hmm. That was sneaky. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not trying to be sneaky, but, but it's in a way that's easily accessible. But I also like the way that it was opened up and then it went back to right. the roots. So it's almost like, and that, that just reminds me of therapy. Sometimes we open up, but we need to go back and, mm-hmm. and actually put it all back together again before we walk out. Mm-hmm. Do you know, it's almost about going back to the beginning and saying, oh, but we know what the core kind of holding theme is and we're going to go back to that and reassemble ourselves before we kind of finish. Yeah. And that final beat kind of landing. Yeah. Yeah, so I think it's powerful. Beautiful. Thank you. Uh, my name is Ori. I am also based in the UK. Um, I had the privilege of living in Edinburgh just one year, mm-hmm. about 20 years ago. But I usually live in um, kind of Midlands in okay. the UK. Right. Okay. But Scotland personally is really, really special place for me because every summer um, I spend my like longest summer holiday oh. on Isle of Skye. And mm-hmm. I just go up the coolings and do camping. And it's like Scotland for me is like... I'm not Scottish, my dear's half is Irish, so we got some sort of Celticness in it. But for me, it's a very kind of personal, sacred, mm. kind of safe and containment. So uh, as soon as you said, yeah, that's going to be the fork mm-hmm. from a Scottish, I said, oh, yeah. that's good. <laughs> that's kind of, oh, feel like home, feel mm. just safe and containment. And yeah, and something about the music itself, uh, First, I tried not to think about too much about the image because mm-hmm. they said, obviously, as I said, already shared with you, uh, mountains and the hills and Scottish highlands, and that's really important to me mm-hmm. for my sanity. Mm-hmm. But I tried not to get too involved in that, but I was kind of thinking, what is it about that melody? And I didn't go into nerdy analysis at all. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't. I was just thinking, but what is it about this containment and safetyness mm-hmm. and something about that repetition something mm. about the coming back mm-hmm. but something about a bit of taking a risk take going going for a walk mm-hmm. a bit like in the woods yeah. coming back but say there mm-hmm. you are but also something about not being right or wrong mm-hmm. and that's something like i think as a music therapist we often have to learn we have yeah. to trial yeah no um your question about how can we use this clinically or potentially and just kind of linking to what you were saying about here comes a relaxing relaxation music Mm -hmm. and doesn't somehow doesn't do Mm -hmm. and I kind of agree with that Mm -hmm. and so for me would be very much if I was listening to your Mm -hmm. guys Mm -hmm. for me how you gonna introduce music to me how much you're gonna say about it Mm -hmm. would mean quite a lot to me so I think mm-hmm. that's really again maybe that's where you're, you're using your clinical thinking but how how you're going to introduce you can just you're just going to say the facts about yeah he's a Scottish guy kind of folky music or do you say do you share your own experience already that mm-hmm. I found this music blah 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 mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or do you let person go first you know, do you have a format? Do you have a clinical rationale for no. that? Mm-hmm. 
I think it depends on the situation. Yes. So there's times where I'll be working with with people, and I'll um, maybe it's a ex- experiencing different cultures or introducing to uh, different types of music, and so then I would definitely introduce the artist, explain about Scottish folk music, and give background. And then there's the other times where I'm doing more of that directed imagery and music, and I'm allowing the client themselves to experience it because I don't want to put any of my interpretations onto them. I'd rather them share with me what their experience is like. Um, And then from there, we can have a discussion if they'd like to, but I'd really like for them to share with me their inner world. Um, So I think it depends on when I'm bringing it into session and why. Yeah. Um, Um, And then sometimes for me, it's not even taking the whole song, it's just taking part of the song. So, you know, the song has a lot of repetition, right? So um, if someone's learning how to play the bass, you know, to help with motor skills or something like that, I'll be like, hey, let's let's maybe try to learn this, this little warm-up exercise, which is actually the bass line from there. Um, or, um, if someone is, you know, if I'm in a hospital working with like someone with breathing, um, I mean, maybe we're not going to have them play the flute because that's too hard, but you know, like maybe the tin whistle or something like that. Um, so for me, it's not necessarily bringing in these songs, but it's bringing elements of the song. Um, another thing I was thinking uh, along with the nature is um, like making a collage or like a drawing of nature. So if we were if we were for some reason talking about nature, uh, we'd probably make like a playlist of nature songs and then I'd like sneak this song in there somehow um, while they're drawing or making collage. And um, yeah, so it's not always like, here is a song that I think is cool. (laughs) Um, It's usually a little bit more subtle than that, for me at least, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and that's a good point too is that like, I think a lot of these are starting points for the, we wanted to bring in songs from this podcast as a starting point for the music therapists that are interacting with this podcast but not necessarily like this is this is what you need to do with it or make sure you're bringing these into your clients I know a lot of us will just come from the client preferred space and allowing the client to lead the way but then if you're kind of uh, doing a group or you need a theme or you're looking for things that maybe will fit with the clientele, um, this is a, a good resource for that. It just, it just struck me um, that um, there's something about just the process of saying we're all going to listen to a song mm-hmm. and then stopping and all quietly listening to it that is in itself, well... I mean, clinical, you could say, that the, could be clinical, I would just think therapeutic or, or uh, you know, grounding perhaps. Mm-hmm. So that so that feels like a valuable experience. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's something, as you say, that you can just do in life. You can just listen to songs. How often do you do it? How often do you sit down, shut your eyes and quietly listen to a song and then think about it? Mm. Um, probably not very often. Right. Um, and uh, so that... That in itself feels valuable to me, I would say. Um, I have used receptive techniques. In fact, during the pandemic, it became quite an important aspect of uh, of practice, didn't it? And uh, um, the one 
I didn't do much clinical practice in the pandemic, but one thing I did do was work with a group of uh, teachers in a school and um, online, you know, and the, each person in the group would bring a song. Um, we had themes each week. Yeah. So, you know, it's in a way, it's similar to what you're doing. Yeah. And it felt, um, we didn't call it therapy, but um, they did, um, it did seem to start to become a valuable therapeutic space. Yeah. And we, there were a few questions at the beginning, like, do you, do you want this to be uh, confidential? Mm-hmm. Or is, will it be okay to talk about it outside, just like an activity or something? Right. And they all said, no, no, we'd, we would like it to be confidential. So that was interesting, you know. Like they were all aware that there was something about sharing songs um, that might bring up stuff that you wouldn't necessarily want to share outside. That it, that it sort of, yeah, brings up memories, as you were saying, and, and brings up just feelings, um, makes connections. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just thinking how nice it was that you'd. You know, you've come to visit Scotland and you've chosen to listen to a piece of music from the culture that you've landed in. And I think that's often what we what we strive to do when we're working each new person that we meet in therapy is that we need to understand a little bit about where they're from and what their music preferences are and actually just sit and listen. What does it feel like to listen to that music, which is not my natural choice of music? Often, you know, it's very unlikely that you meet someone. And when you do meet someone, it's the same choice. Then there's other <laughs> things that come up. <laughs> so you kind of, yeah. um, you've got to, yeah, so just actually landing in somebody else's space and really listening what does it feel like to be in this space feels really important and something that I really I really appreciate that that's what you've done in this yeah. podcast. Thank you. Yeah. yeah, that kind of brings to mind um, what I've started doing in my current practice. Part of the assessment process with my clients um, is we sit together and we just make a playlist mm-hmm. of preferred music and songs that remind them of their childhood and you know where they are now Um, and then if I have time before my session with them throughout the rest of you know our treatment um, we listen or I listen to the playlist to kind of mm, like re like I don't know point my attention in direction of them you know this is I'm about to have a session with John, let me listen to John's playlist, mm-hmm. and I just sit in it and like listen to it, and then he's there, you know, and we start session. So kind of reorienting myself in between sessions. So yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, kind of playing off of that, something that I've been really interested in and would like to do more in my practice. Um, I've noticed a lot of psychotherapists that have implemented walk and talk therapy. And so um, they have that ability to, you know, obviously get consent and take their clients out for a walk around the block and and talk about what's going on. And I thought, that's really amazing, um, you know, to get someone kind of outside of the traditional clinical environment um, and to uh, create kind of... um, a neutral space where you don't feel so pressured to be on and to stare into someone's eyes, um, which I think music therapy can do really naturally. You know, we can kind of bring down some of those defenses, but um, how could we bring music therapy on a walk and talk, um, a walk and listen? So I thought this would be such a great song to add to a playlist of nature songs 
um, and to listen to that together to have that shared music experience out in nature and it's just something that I know a lot of my clients uh, were always looking for grounding techniques and um, things that they can then take home and how could we best model that for them and so doing something like that could be a really great experience to to show them that this is something you can take out into your daily world so yeah, and kind of going along with the walking around in nature, I, I'm really big on music production. Um, so what I would love to do is kind of remix this song, you know, take the, the this core track um, and walk around and like record different nature sounds. So record the birds, record the wind, record the trees rustling, um, like and have the client like just think of other things that they can record and Walk, walk around and then get back into the clinic and you just put it into the song and figure out where to put it and just, you know, re reimagine the song. Um, so it's like they got to take part in this walk with Hamish, basically. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that's a, that's a wrap for the episode. Yeah. So thank you, everybody. Yay. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs>